Hey folks, welcome back to Geological. This is another one of those practitioners ask the questions of Toby episode on Sa'am acupuncture. You know, at the beginning of learning anything, we tend to have more questions than answers. And especially when we're trying stuff out in clinic, stuff that seems so simple and so straightforward in the book, it makes no sense when someone's actually on the table. So I've got a couple of practitioners with me today. There is uh, Kristen Wisgerda and Tim McGee, two practitioners that have just gotten started with Sa'am and we're here to uh, flesh this stuff out in the clinic. Let's just start by having each of you introduce yourselves quickly, where you're from, how you got interested in this Sa'am stuff, and how you're beginning to use it in your clinic. Kristen, why don't we start with you? I've been practicing for 19 years, about 20 miles south of Boston. I remember hearing the first Sa'am interview you did with Toby, and I totally didn't get it, and it kind of gave me a headache. <laughs> and I went, whoa, and I just became really intrigued, like, I don't get this. And so then I came back to it maybe a few weeks or a few months later, and I could start to understand what was going on. And at this point in my practice, I'm also just, I feel like I'm more open and ready to trust the dynamic of the five phases and the six confirmations rather than being more anatomical or approaching the channels in a kind of more like physical physical way. So to be introduced to some at this point in my practice, it's just the perfect exploration for me right now. Wow. You know, isn't it interesting? Almost 20 years in, here you are at the very beginning of something new. Yes. Isn't that just delicious about this kind of medicine? Totally. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's fabulous. I, I so resonate with your comment here about first reading it and going, what the heck is that? I don't get that. This makes no sense. I mean, it totally scrambles your brain, and yet you come back, you look at it a bit, you use it a bit, there's a sense that starts to emerge out of it that you didn't see before. So I'm going to be curious to hear more about how that's been unfolding for you as we go. Tim, what about you? I've been practicing for about four years. Uh, we just had our four-year anniversary for our business, and we're in uh, Everett, Washington, so close to where you were a little while ago. Yeah, but the naval base. Yeah, with the naval base. I first heard about the Sa'am stuff from uh, Michelle Buchanan's work, doing uh, pregnancy stuff. She has a, a course that I caught somewhere, I think on like eLotus or something like that. And um, I found it really effective. It's, it's, she modified it a little bit, um, but it really, really helpful for women in pregnancy. And so I have just been using that and kind of forgot about it. And then I heard your podcast and you know, a lot about it inspired me. I think the same things that you've mentioned and that um, Kristen was talking about as well, you know, really inspired me. And so I started working on it and trying it out and doing it and making some mistakes. And I'm just happy to be here and happy to get to, to talk with you, Toby, and, you know, learn something. Well, Tim, this is great that you have some other influences with this. Um, I'm going to be curious to hear more about that as we get into today's conversation, and that you use it a lot with fertility. That's a, that's a whole different angle that you don't often hear about, this 
particular method being used. So looking forward to uh, hearing some of your experience, your clinical experience with this. This will be fun. And Mr. Daly. Hi, good morning, uh, Tim and Kristen. I'm eager to hear your questions this morning. Uh, let's get started. Kristen, would you start? My first question has to do with tonification and sedation. Whether it's my education or just me, I've never really felt confident in getting like any kind of like palpatory feedback that I'm doing it correctly. And I like to get feedback. So I've always just ascribed to, is the needle engaged or not? So with this system, though, it seems like it's really important whether or not you're tonifying or sedating. So could you just do something as simple as keeping the point open or closing it after the needle is taken out or needle direction or, you know, with the channel, against the channel? And then Jing well points. I mean, you know, is that a matter of like needle um, point open, point closed after the needle is taken out? Yeah, that, that's a really important part, Kristen. So for my teacher, he would do basically everything you're saying. So for um, for needle insertion, he would really do his thumb forward a lot for to tonify. So he would do sort of even technique to, to gather chi, and then he would do quite a few rotations just thumb forward to tonify. And then the opposite of that to, to drain, he would uh, thumb backwards. So he would really bind up a lot of tissue fibers there. And it's a really strong effect. Okay, so it's like that sense of like the bound bound tissue fiber kind of sensation. Yes, and, and I mean, he would really create a lot of sensation for patients sometimes, especially, you know, if he really wanted to either uh, sedate or to tonify that area. And then like you're saying too, uh, the needle direction, that's really important also. You, you know, you thread along the channel or against the channel uh, along to supplement and against to drain. And then, yeah, needle open or closed, close it for tonification and open it for sedation. When you go to remove the needle too, you have to reverse that back out. So you really bound out a lot of things. So if you've gone uh, thumb forward a lot for the tonification, when you go to uh, remove that needle, you have to pull that back out the opposite. So it's like a strong needle technique and attending to all of those different things. Yes, and it would be a little bit lighter uh, when he was going to supplement the point and a little bit uh, stronger when he was going to drain it. For me, often, I find if I am tonifying the liver and that last point I put in is liver for draining, I would say 80% of the time I put that thing in, I twist it to bind up the fibers. I can really feel that needle grab and about 80% of the patients go, whoa, it really sets them off. And I always take it as a good sign because it, it truly has engaged the channel in, in a very, very powerful way. It's, this is not a harmonizing treatment. Um, it's a very strong treatment. And you can see things happen really quickly with your patients, especially if it's right. They'll just settle right down really quickly, even though the needle had incredible sensation on it. And that's another important point too. All four of these points are going to really work in conjunction. So you've got to make sure that they're all engaged. That's an important point. You know, you, you really got, need to make sure that they've, they've got Dutchie in all four. All right, great. Tim? Yeah, you know, my question kind of spins off of that. And how did your teacher and how do you see getting the Dutchie in this system? You know, 
do you base it off what you're feeling on the needle or what the patient is feeling or both or how do you navigate that? Yeah, definitely both. I always thought, you know, it would be really, uh, you know, a subtle uh, thing when when you get uh, chi. But it seems like, especially for this system and the points and you're threading, you know, with the channel or against the channel, you know, it's a pretty obvious tug. And sometimes, uh, you know, I, I don't feel that so strong, but the patient will react, you know, like, oh, they, they really feel something. So that's good enough for me, too. Usually both of us. It helps talking about the fiber, too. You know, sometimes I was really feeling the the fibers really grabbing on the needle and kind of like worrying about it a little bit. Like, oh, I don't know if I want to like twist that up too much or something like that. So I was kind of experimenting with that, that sensation and what it was doing. So it's be good to learn more about that from you in person when we could just go to your class. Yeah, great. I think, yeah, the binding up, once for sure that needle's really bound up, then obviously yeah, you've, you've definitely got dutchy. So I think that might be part of the tradition doing that um, just to, to ensure that you've got dutchy there. I have so many super hypersensitive patients who don't want to feel anything. So for palm points, I mean, do you, what gauge needle do you use for, you know, heart eight, pericardium eight? So this, this tradition uses really thick needles. So like 35 gauge. Recently, I have a hypersensitive uh, patient afraid of needles and everything. And something about just four needles and, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll press and prep the point really well. And then um, just a quick insertion. It seems like it, they're okay with it. But, you know, like a hypersensitive patient, there's almost no comfortable combination here. Maybe supplementing large intestine is like somewhat comfortable, but you, you maybe you could just consider doing a different system. You know, if the patient, you, you just feel like they're, they're just not going to be able to handle any needle sensation, maybe another technique or something. If you feel like they're borderline, definitely try the system because also the results are nice. The patients, even if they're needle sensitive and then they get immediate quick results, then it seems like it's a really good trade-off. I'm super sensitive to needles myself. I love acupuncture, but I don't always like getting it. I love the effects of it. I tend to be one of these more light-handed needlers because uh, I'm just that kind of a person. What I have discovered, especially with the Jingwell points, is that if I decide that I'm just damn okay with needle in this thing, the patient usually is too. There's a couple of patients, no, I wouldn't use this on them, or maybe I just use a tashing needle, you know, and go super light, still doing tonification and sedation. But I find that my own mental outlook and my own sense of, I'm just gonna needle this thing because it's gonna help them, seems to make a big difference in their experience of getting the needle you might want to look at just how settled you are with working with certain points that make you uncomfortable. Something to look at. Absolutely. That makes a huge difference. Tim, I just want to jump in for a moment. I'm curious. You learned something about the Sa'am system from this other source. Could you tell us just a little bit about what they had to say about it? And more in particular, how you are using this method to help women with fertility? So um, it comes from Michelle Buchanan, I think is her name. She, it's actually for pregnant women. And uh, she treats a lot of uh, women in pregnancy. Her, I think she specializes in that. It's sort of just like a system that she presented that's a spinoff of the, of the Sa'am system. So it's not totally the same. Like So so for like tonifying wood, she uses liver three, spleen three, liver four, and lung eight. In the system, she doesn't really... Uh, at least the way that I understand it, she didn't really promote a tonification or sedation. 
Um, and she uses the pulse of the pregnant mom. You know, maybe it's just that I had faith in her presentation, um, but I, I use it with my pregnant patients and it's really effective. And I, she bases it off the pulse. So she just goes the way, the way she taught it in this class was just to go to the weakest pulse and to tonify that. I, so it's a pretty gentle insertion. So no twisting, no needle direction in this one. I think there's something too about maybe pregnant women being a little bit more sensitive uh, and responding really easily and having something kind of simple and guided that's not overdoing it can be really helpful for just kind of uh, treating a woman in pregnancy, you know, from my experience. So that's kind of, that's kind of all I got on that. It sounds like what you've learned from Michelle has gotten you started working in this direction. I'm curious to know what you've picked up from Toby's article or the podcasts that you've been adding into your practice and, and how that's been looking? I'm just kind of going for it. You know what, Toby, what you wrote in the article, just kind of, especially this week, I was trying to, you know, make sure I treated like two or three people a day, just using the way that it's laid out in the, in the article that, that you did. I guess I would just say that it maybe made it a little bit more familiar to me. I could kind of pick up on it a little bit easier. I mean, I still have a lot of questions. I, the patient gets in front of me and I think, oh, this is going to be really simple. And I, they, they start going through their symptoms and I start trying to classify it. And I'm just like swimming in, you know, in, in my thoughts and, and sometimes to the point where I just kind of like have to put the um, stuff to the side and just kind of go to what I, my foundations, you know, that I understand a little bit more. But I have been seeing some really cool results. I had uh, one patient who I knew, she's a body worker and I knew she was coming to me for all left-sided pain and i had just heard the podcast and i thought oh great she had all left-sided pain and she had uh, eczema on her face as well and i thought okay cool i'm going to treat the lung <laughs> i so i had her on the table and she had back pain pretty severe i treated the lung she was getting off the table and we both heard like a clump something happened and she like went into total spasm was bent over <laughs> you know her back pain went from like a nine to a 15. She couldn't move and just had a really bad reaction to it. So she's, you know, leaning over my table. I try to like prop her up with a chair. I, I treated the stomach channel immediately, just trying to juggle all this, you know, in the, in the moment and, um, and then put in a couple uh, like, uh, you know, hagu and a couple of the master tongue uh, face points for kind of acute back pain. And we got her to relax and send her off. And, you know, all day I was thinking, man, I did it wrong. You know, I got it backwards. The next day she came to me and she was and she was feeling a lot better. I told her to come back and the next day and I would try to fix what I had messed up, kind of assuming I, I did that or something. But uh, she came back the next day and um, her chiropractor had told her that her hips had actually gone into adjustment. And she actually ended up having a really positive experience from it. And she remembered an injury that she had when she was, I think, about eight years old, where she was sick for a really long time, and she had uh, hurt her low back in that area. And the way she experienced it was that she healed this previous injury from when she was eight. And it kind of took a little bit of time, but you know, now she's walking around and she's fine and and she's really happy and there's no problems. And it was just a really interesting thing, you know. A few things have happened like that, and I guess I kind of wanted to get your perspective on that one, Toby, and also you know, maybe we take somebody over the edge with this system and that can kind of lead them into a healing as well. Uh, maybe similar to what your patient experienced that you talked about in the article. I just kind of maybe talk about that a little bit. 
based on her body type, do you think she really did need stomach and you put lung in completely incorrectly? Or what do you think about that? Possibly. Yeah. Based on her body type, stomach would have been a good one. So it might be that stomach just did it or fixed it or I, I did stomach just to try to balance the lung. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that was definitely the right move. I'm just wondering, you know, how far off that originally uh, supplementing lung was. But yeah, that's been my experience too. Um, mistakes do really push the patient in that way. It's almost like, you know, she was really thirsty for stomach and you, instead you gave her lung. So it really primed her body for when you did uh, supplement stomach. So yeah, I, I'd be really cautious about doing that on purpose. When you do put in the counterbalancing channel, it does seem like it, everything gets much better. I'm remembering now, yeah, that patient in the article, which just horrible state uh, after they left and throughout the whole night. But then the next day, uh, much better. Uh, if I remember right, I'd supplemented heart for that patient and um, they really needed UB. So uh, when I did put UB in, it was just so relieving. And then I gave her a second course of UB, I believe. And then that, that just basically resolved everything. So yeah, made her much, much worse, but then totally resolved after. So Theoretically, I could have done that, you know, if I diagnosed correctly and just supplemented UB right the first time, I think probably could have been resolved that all with, you know, with just one treatment rather than three. Yeah, sometimes I have noticed with patients that they will get worse after the treatment and then they will get markedly better. And sometimes, that, you know, people call that a healing crisis. I think healing crisis has happened. I think they're pretty rare. More often, I think I screwed it up. I gave them a bad treatment and, and they've had to work their way back. That being said, if something goes south and after a short period of time, they recover and they are fundamentally different. Not just like, oh, I'm back to okay, but they're like totally transformed. When I see that happen, I figure, okay, that was some kind of a, a healing response. But more often than not, and especially with the SOM system, what I found is if I'm wrong, I'm just wrong. I just screwed it up and try to take that as information about what's a good thing not to do, which should, if I'm paying attention, lead me directly to what would be helpful for them. Yeah, I think that's key. Tim, I'm so glad you did that, you know, rather than just panicking. Uh, I'm glad you were able to remember to supplement stomach in that kind of case. So, phew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think there's any way to learn this particular method without making a fair amount of mistakes on the way to getting it right. I think it's just built in that we're going to take it the wrong way and we need to be attentive in the process of our learning. Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful system. So if you get it right, then you get it really right. Uh, but if you get it wrong, then you get it really, really wrong. So um, I, I just I just always feel like I need to emphasize that. A lot of other systems, right? It's even if you get it wrong, it's okay. Maybe you don't get good effects, but you don't harm the patient. This system, definitely you can harm the patient. Yeah. So, so, so much for acupuncture being harmonizing. Right. I had an experience that is related to this of I have a patient who she has intermittent blocked hearing and her and she can also have um, some dizziness and like foggy feelings in her head and it it took 
it took a long time for me to understand that her blocked hearing comes from abusive situations where it ends up she has like so many people just stepping all over her, you know, like horrible verbal abuse and people taking advantage of her. And so it seemed like, oh, the kidney system, (laughs) you know, like she needs that kidney consolidation of self. So I decided to treat her for that. But a few weeks before she had been dragged by a horse, she's um, a horse lady, and she was pretty roughed up, but she was recovering from that. I still decided during the treatment to to treat the, the kidney, and I put in lung eight and kidney seven, and she started having horrible ear ringing, like with those two points. And so it just made me think, okay, and I immediately took them out and I treated the small intestine. And it just made me think about prioritizing and maybe she just had so much stagnation in her system from the injuries that tonifying the kidney was just counteracting, you know, really the small intestine move, dynamic movement that she needed. I don't think tonifying the small intestine helped her ear ringing, though. It wasn't until she did text me a few hours later that she the ear ringing was gone, but there wasn't any immediate change from tonifying the small intestine. I mean, it could have been my needle technique, too. Maybe I wasn't strongly tonifying the small intestine correctly. Oh, yeah, maybe. But uh, let's assume you, you did. First of all, I think you're right. She probably does need to supplement kidney at some point in the future. And then like, you know, we can see from the experience then she needs small intestine at that time. So the channels are opposite each other, but sometimes I find patients that need both. And so sometimes I would um, supplement small intestine one visit and then next visit supplement kidney and kind of stepwise bring those both those channels up, especially if both those channels are really low relative to the other channels. And that's like the only two things going on is between the kidney and small intestine. Then sometimes I'll step that through. So maybe that's for her case. My other thought too is, um, did she describe the main emotion she feels from that abuse? Lately, she's been acknowledging how angry she is about being stepped on. So, you know, so that's a good point that, you know, she's stepped all over, verbally abused. And then she, I think she just like internally tenses up. And that's what upsets circulation to her ears is it's just like this real like and she gets like a lot of chest tightness and throat tightness too when that happens. I would consider, you know, supplementing pericardium or something like that if you feel like it's appropriate. I am a little bit hesitant to recommend pericardium too because it it is like a meekness to that. And especially if she's in an abusive situation, that's probably not best to be meek. It might be nice just to clear that off for her, you know, supplement pericardium. So that chest would relax and the throat relax and uh, maybe she could deal with the situation better when she's in it. Previous to this, that's, I had been more working with the pericardium channel and, you know, pericardium three or pericardium six for her. And she would, you know, she would always feel better. And gradually over time, she's been able to stand up to people a little bit more. But I thought, oh, the kidney might really give her that big self-confident push. And it's just interesting to watch and consider. And I think, you know, as you work with the system more and more, then you just get a better feel for it. You know, still often I make mistakes, you know, using the system, but I recognize them pretty quickly. 
the case you described too, you know, I might have supplemented kidney myself in that case because you're, you're right. I mean, that, that's a really reasonable strategy to supplement that self-love, especially in that kind of case. Your clinical thinking was good. It just, um, you know, obviously her body wasn't ready for that yet. Toby, I want to throw out a, another possibility. I just, well, I'm asking you about this because I've seen some patients like this as well. Sometimes I think what they need isn't so much pericardium. They need a little Mike Tyson. They, they need a little stand up for myself. I don't care what you think. I am doing what I need to do for myself. And, and that's kind of a gallbladder thing. Now, I know that can be kind of dangerous because if you've already got some stagnation or heat in the gallbladder system and you ramp it up, it could cause some issues. But I'm wondering your thoughts about a weak gallbladder as opposed to, say, an overactive pericardium. Couldn't those both cause some stagnation in the chest? Yeah, definitely could. I went away from supplementing gallbladder for this case because uh, she said the patient's already angry. So if the patient's already angry, that's good enough for me to, to consider the uh, pericardium. What's interesting about her is like she, she's angry. She can express anger with me. You know, I mean, not directed at me, but she's angry about the situation. But I doubt she's actually angry toward the people who she <laughs> needs to be angry toward. You know, she's... So that that's an interesting distinction. Like she's not able to have good boundaries and puff herself up when she's with the people who abuse her. Uh, so th th this is bringing up another idea in the system too. We, we think about like shielding by supplementing the liver. So maybe that might be good. And then if you really think it, she needs it, you know, brandishing a sword is supplementing gallbladder for the system. So if you really feel like she needs to do battle then definitely you could supplement the gallbladder. But I'd be really cautious about that uh, if she already has anger. Toby, what do you think about doing like a half-in tonification where you would tonify the channel and tonify the mother of the channel, but you wouldn't take the brakes off? Especially for gallbladder, I, I wouldn't do half. I'm, too, I'm really cautious around gallbladder. Just because of uh, experiences, of, you know, clinical experience I've had in the past, that uh, if you get this wrong, it it really sets things off, and that the patient can get in a lot of trouble socially. I'm just always cautious about that. Yeah, so I, I would either go all in with gallbladder or or skip it in that kind of case. I, I understand your thinking, Michael. That's I think that's good clinical thinking. I'm just reflecting on experience, and I think uh, I really tend to not use the gallbladder unless I'm sure. Okay. So when it comes to gallbladder, you're playing with fire. <laughs> Definitely, right? You're playing with thunder. And so you got to make sure that you need that thunder. I like that. You're not playing with fire. You're playing with thunder. That's, that's a helpful distinction. Yeah. I have another case which had better results. But I know you have talked about the pericardium and gallbladder and or the, the organ channel systems that... that are represented more in like psycho-emotional aspects and then the more physical earth and metal. But I, I had a patient with elbow pain and he's a hockey player and he's a, he's a pudgy guy and he's, he's like such a ponderous guy, you know, like his affect is so ponderous and he's slowly considering every little detail. So I, it just seemed like such a spleen excess situation. And when I 
when I tonified the the large intestine, he had such great clinical results. <laughs> you know, you know. So I tonified the large intestine opposite his elbow pain. He was like so much better getting off the table. He was so much brighter and airier. So I don't know if you have any reflections on like the psycho-emotional aspects or affect aspects of the earthen metal. I think about like whatever the patient presents with or tells us or we get from pulse and tongue, I always put a different weight on that, you know, in trying to make a decision. And you're right, for, for metal and earth, the physical aspects have more weight, more clinical weight rather than the mental emotional. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if the, the patient's a little bit too wet, was it large intestine channel elbow pain? It was actually um, Sanjiao channel elbow pain. On his affected side, I did treat the Sanjiao channel, but I had done that in the previous treatment. It didn't really have that much effect or, or just like a mild, a mild change. But then it makes me think like, okay, if the, if the large intestine channel is weak or the, you know, the channel system is weak, yeah, then definitely other channels could be out of balance, you know, in the same area. So, you know, made me think about like almost, yeah, some stagnation in the Sanjiao channel because the large intestine channel is not doing its job in that area. It just made me more curious about, you know, the interaction between the channels and compensations in the big picture. And like, why was he's been playing hockey for 40 years and he's never had an injury. So, you know, why now? How do you play hockey for 40 years and not have an injury? I, you know, he said like, no, you know, like no major injuries, you know, like he's been bruised up, but he's never had to stop playing. So this is the first time he's had to stop playing. So, so you supplemented large intestine on the opposite side from the uh, arm pain? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think that that's super reasonable. You're changing the qualities on that side. Yeah. There's too much damp in the whole body that's affecting the whole channel system. And then you're specifically directing a few things to the Sanjiao. Do you remember what points you did for Sanjiao? I think it ended up being like Sanjiao 13, like 12 or 13, because there was definitely tissue changes higher up on his arm and then Sanjiao 9. Great. In the future, say you have the, exactly that same case again, consider just supplementing just the large intestine and then see how the patient feels and then put the Sanjiao points in after if you need them. Often that, that's the style I work in because that's great um, if you can do it, everything with just the large intestine, you, like your theory, right? That the large intestine is so deficient, it's affecting everybody else. And by supplementing a large intestine, then you, you should be able to get that whole clinical effect done. Otherwise, yeah, just keep in mind, yeah, doing some local points and, and opening that up if it's needed after, you know, a minute or two of having large intestine in. Because I guess it's like having confidence to use the system. So I, that, that's a good way to ease into using the system, see how, see how the patient does, and then adding more if it's not quite enough. But yeah, thank you for that. It's sort of like you have a theoretical idea and you're putting on the patient's body and just kind of seeing, is that enough? And something about that kind of respect for their chi that that seems to work pretty well, you know. And then and then obviously, you know, if their body's still asking for more, then you can always keep that in your back pocket. And you will see changes pretty dang quickly. I I've got a number of patients with some sort of shoulder impingement, or you know, some joint doesn't work the way it should. They've got some some kind of motion that's just not not right. And I find that it's really possible to put them in a position 
so that I can needle what I need to, and then ask them to go through whatever motion it was that was causing them problems. Generally speaking, this is one of those kinds of acupuncture where if it's going to help, it's going to help pretty much immediately. You'll, re you'll see results pretty quickly and you'll know if you're on or you'll know that you're off. And either way, it's a, a confidence builder because you know to stay the course or find a different one. Yeah, a lot of times our mistakes are our best teachers. So if you don't notice uh, any change, do you try to chase it a lot or do you just kind of let it go? I usually expect a change, like like Michael saying, immediately. There's usually something. Otherwise, it must be usually something significant within five minutes. Sometimes I'll needle. Uh, a lot of times, uh, this what my teacher would have people do is take three, you know, after the needles are all set, take three deep breaths with slow exhales and then see how they're feeling after that. Something about that, you know, just gives us a good uh, framework for, you know, what kind of response they're having to the treatment. But otherwise, then sometimes I'll say, oh, I'll come back in five minutes and see how it's going. And uh, for example, the um, shoulder pain, right? Usually that's, like Michael's saying, pretty much immediate if you're right. But maybe something more complicated or severe pain or something like that, a lot of times I'll give it five minutes. And then I come back in after five minutes. If it's obviously worse, then, then definitely I know exactly what to do to the opposite. But if it's not quite better, then sometimes I'll take those four points out and put in uh, my second idea. Because um, my first idea is not affecting what I thought it would affect. So um, within five minutes, I think it seems like it's fine to pull those out and then put in your second idea and then let those set for 20 minutes. So yeah, I like to give, uh, I like to give a little bit of response time, maybe five minutes, but then within five minutes, you're, you're almost certainly know uh, if it's right or not. Toby, would you treat it on the same side or would you go with the opposite side? Yeah, usually the same side. So I would just take out the four points on that side and then put in my second idea. And I don't know if you guys have experience with this, but with the system, I usually have a couple of good ideas. Is, is that been your guys' experience too with the system? Or a couple of bad ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sometimes I have that too. But like, like Michael just said too, the bad ideas, then you know clearly what you need to do. So that, that's, that's sort of nice with it. Especially uh, the bad idea for just three breaths, uh, that seems to be okay. You know, if the patient goes into distress, my teacher really recommended looking at the patient's face you know, noting that really carefully. Um, so I often like to have really bright lights in the clinic room just to be able to see any kind of subtle change in the face right away. What kind of things might you see, like the face going pale or what kind of stuff do you see where you got it wrong? Yeah, you're right. Uh, color definitely is a factor. It, when you get it right, that face just completely relaxes and they close their eyes. If they're just staring at you, right? And uh, the face is definitely tensing up and you, you definitely got that wrong. Definitely color and uh, emotions flashing across the face. And it won't be subtle too, right? You know, it's not like, oh, maybe it looks like a little bit more red. I mean, the face will go beet red or totally pale or something like that. Because again, you're, you're putting in a really strong idea into the body and your idea is completely wrong. So it, it'll reflect on the face pretty quickly. I have also found that the pulse responds quite readily to these treatments. And so if you've got it right, the pulse can dramatically change for the better. If you got it wrong, it'll get tighter. The other thing that I've noticed, and this helps with knowing that I've actually got it right, I don't know how much you guys look at tongues after you've just looked at it in the beginning of the treatment, 
but you might want to check the tongue after you put needles in because I've seen some dramatic changes. I wish I'd photographed them because the tongue would change in such profound ways in terms of color or even coating. So that's something else that you can keep an eye on. Yeah, Michael, tell them about that that coat change that one time. Oh, man. I, I had a guy with this like thick, pasty white coat. I put some needles in and I'm not kidding you, in two minutes, it was down to a thin white coating. I mean, I looked at that tongue coating and I went, did I just make something up? I went back and checked my notes. No, I wrote down thick, pasty white coating. Uh, you can also see color changes, especially people with insomnia or anxiety. You know, they got that red tip tongue and the dots and, you know, all that Michigas. That can change dramatically as well. So just some things to watch for. If I understand correctly, you've done some work with the engaging vitality system. Mm, I have, when, yes. When you're using Sa'am, do you also track yang rhythm or fluids? Do you, or is that on your radar? It's on my radar. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, it's a bit of, this might be a little bit over technical for those of you not in, who have not studied the engaging vitality. It uses some of the osteopathic type palpation. So we look at yang rhythm. You can sense the fluids. There's ways of feeling for heat spikes over acupuncture points. It's all kinds of really, I mean, basically engaging vitality while it's a method. More importantly, it's a set of tools, palpatory tools that can help you to understand how your treatment is affecting somebody. And I do pay attention in particular to yang rhythm and fluids when I do the Sa'am work. If you do that kind of palpation, if that's something of interest, you have those skills, definitely pay attention to those things because you'll, you'll get some good feedback. I would love to talk to you about that more in Seattle. Great. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 What do you do for tune-ups? You know, people that are kind of coming in for wellness, they don't have any major issues. Um, do you always kind of find something <laughs> or do you just kind of do more harmonizing sort of treatment. This system doesn't have a harmonizing component to it. So it seems like uh, I always find something. There's a constitutional uh, dryness or wetness or, you know, emotional tendency or something like that, that I can counterbalance. It seems like there's always something you can use in the system. But yeah, I understand your question. Yeah, it's, it seems like no one has ever come to my clinic perfect. So I can always find something. And if they're not having any major symptoms, are you just looking more for that response and like looking for them to have that deep sense of relaxation or something like that? In my case, usually patients come in with something, you know, something major, and then you clear that and then they want to come in for wellness. But you already kind of know what their tendencies are um, from treating them for a while. So then you, you kind of know what to look for, even if the clinical picture is looking pretty, pretty nice, then you know where the deficiencies are. Yeah, I, I just want to echo... Toby's thoughts about this is not a harmonizing treatment. I've really come to that myself. It is, it's an extremely imbalanced treatment because we're looking to restore some balance. So overall, you can create some harmonization, but it's not so much because you're harmonizing, but because you're really adding in something missing. You know, it's the difference between like a Shaoyao uh, San, oh, it's this nice, a balanced harmonizing formula and something like uh, Ma Huang Fu Tang, which has a very specific direction. 
I find that the treatments with the Sa'am, they really do have a certain, at times, ferociousness to them because you're really looking to turn something around for somebody. I had a patient yesterday who comes to me for dizziness, and she's had it since she was two, and she's in her late 50s, and acupuncture from me has been the only thing so far that's calmed it down for her. So I hadn't seen her in a while, and, and I knew this talk was coming up, so I was like, oh, great, I'm going to practice on her, you know? And she came in, and I did small intestine on her, and I did one side. She responded to the needles, you know, she, she told me directly like, oh, that was a good one. And gallbladder 41, she really liked and UB 66, she didn't like it first. And I said, okay, we'll sit with it for a couple of minutes. And she's like, no, that was a good one. And because she, she feels the water level decrease down her leg is how she experiences it. She asked me towards the end of the treatment, she felt unbalanced and she felt like it was all to one side too much. So she, I don't know if she just wanted the symmetry for her mind or for, but she, that's how she was. And she actually asked if she could have the same treatment on the other side. And because of the severity of her symptoms, I went ahead and thought, okay, let's, let's try that and did it on the other side. And it helped, you know, she had a, the water level was above her knee when she came in and was down to her ankle when she left. And that's, I consider that, you know, pretty good. It kind of felt like it was balancing her treatment or something like that. Like she was having this vertigo that was hurt that because the needles were all just on one side, it felt like it made her more, a little bit more off balance. So she wanted them on the other side too. I'm so used to just the kind of standard TCM kind of like the counterbalancing the body idea, you know, like, so it's, it's a little bit different thinking for me to kind of get into this. It's not more balancing to put both sides in of the same um, channel. Uh, I don't think that's right, but but it sounds like a severe case. So I think she did feel much better, not necessarily because you put both sides in, but because she really needed both. Now, I've been using the system for a long time, so it doesn't feel so imbalanced to me just to do one side. But I remember, yeah, initially it, it did feel kind of weird. And patients every once in a while will say that, oh, you know, you're, you're, not, you're neglecting my other side of my body. But it really, I mean, it will affect the whole body. Um, it's just um, we need to send that clear message from just one side. I have found that because I used to all pretty much always do these bilateral treatments. And so as I started moving into using the Sa'am, and, and I've tried to keep it simple so that I can understand from my and learn from my experience, both good and bad. So I would do one side, and sometimes patients would go, what about the other side? How come you're not doing the other side? They get a little bit miffed about it. What I've started telling them is, well, I'm doing one side because I'm looking to crack the whip, All right? <laughs> I'm, I'm anchoring, seriously, it's like, yeah, crack the whip. It, it sounds good. It does sound good. What I tell them is I've set a dynamic in motion on one side and it's going to go to the other side of your body and come back with this like wave-like resonance it actually creates more dynamic motion and in some ways is a lot more powerful. Often they'll buy that. And I think the reason that they're buying it is because that's actually how I'm thinking these days. That again, this is not a harmonizing treatment. We are looking to dramatically move some chi and one-sidedness can really help with that because we're, we're offsetting a non-helpful balance, right? The body gets into a set of, into a 
state of homeostasis, but it's not necessarily the best homeostasis to be in. And this can really shake people out of it. That's At least that's my sense of it at this point. Yeah, I think that's a great way of phrasing it. Hey, can I ask Kristen a question for a moment? It's your show. <laughs> it's our show. Come on. <laughs> Kristen, I remember at the beginning of the conversation today that you were talking about when you first started reading this stuff, it made no sense at all. And, and I'm totally with you on that because when I first started reading it, I, I, it just, it's like, how in the hell am I ever going to learn this? Because I can't wrap my mind around it. But as I've come along with this, there's little pieces that they'll like snap to grid or they'll fall in place, like clunk. Oh, now I see how that works. I'm wondering if there's any experiences that you've had in your process of learning this where it just, it just kind of went clunk and you went, oh, now I see how that works. Well, I, I've had loads of experiences, you know, even if I'm not practicing, most of the time I'm not practicing pure Sa'am treatments. I, I haven't had the confidence to do that. But when I'm choosing points with other systems, I use very often kind of like a Kiko Matsumoto style. I'm using palpatory reference and I'm, you know, or I'm using, you know, Wang Juyi style applied channel theory style acupuncture. And as I'm choosing points and seeing how it affects the problem area, I, I feel like I'm able to get to the correct points more easily because I'm understanding, oh, this is sort of the background, the big picture of the, of the patient, like, oh, this heart channel point is going to work because they need that, that warm that really warm heart energy. And so that's what's going to help open up the neck. And sometimes it works and I'm, you know, that's confirmed or sometimes it doesn't work and it makes me rethink their whole, their whole big picture. And it actually also helps me understand, you know, how certain treatments, Kiko style is, is very kind of protocol-y or can be sometimes and like why some things work and some things don't work. You know, she often uses for, um, to release the the neck erectors, she'll her vertebral artery insufficiency treatment is liver eight and kidney ten. That's only going to work if they're liver deficient, you know. So it's and it doesn't work if they need something else. So it, it's helping me understand why things work and why things don't work. Because in some ways, you could look at the Sa'am stuff and also say, "Oh, that's super protocol-y, right? They've got this gallbladder excess. I'm going to treat the pericardium." At one level, that's super, very protocol-based. But if you start looking at those underlying dynamics like you're doing, yeah, it helps inform all kinds of other stuff. That's delightful. Great to hear it. Yes, it's very fun, too. <laughs> it is fun. It's totally fun. <laughs> I have a question about the fire channels and the if there's any interchangeability of using the heart versus the pericardium, say for a lung deficiency and you're draining heart eight, would you ever decide to drain pericardium eight instead? I'm actually more curious, like I was just thinking about it, large intestine, if you're draining small intestine five, but the patient has constipation, could you use the, the analogous point on the Sanjiao channel, which is Sanjiao 6, which is has this great reputation for constipation. 
you know, on the in the background of a large intestine deficiency. Do do you ever interchange the fire channel points depending on sim- symptomatology or or otherwise? This tradition doesn't, but um, that's a really interesting question. Yeah, you're right. We do have that little bit of um, play there with the with the fire element. I'd be cautious about doing that just when you're learning the system, but down the road, I think I, I would definitely um, experiment with that if I was you. Okay. But keep it simple, simple at first and see what works and what doesn't work. The systems themselves are, like I was saying before, you got to make sure all four are giving you what you need so you can get that clear clinical feedback. But later on, when you get really comfortable with it and in the system, as you go along, you do start breaking these things up and uh, interchanging them a little bit. but. Just starting out, I, I wouldn't do that yet, but definitely you should write that down somewhere or something like that after a few months or maybe a year of using the system a lot, then I would definitely, you could definitely try that and see what happens. It's a great idea. It just sort of brings insight into, into points and the dynamic of individual points as well. It just makes work very rich. And I'm using points that I don't usually use a lot, like like heart eight and, um, you know, all of the Jing well points. So it's, it makes that fun too. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time here today. So glad we could all get together for this discussion. Any final questions or comments for Toby? Tim, why don't we start with you? I just want to thank you for the podcast, uh, Michael, and then also for taking your time, Toby, and going through these questions and kind of responding to the, you know, there's something here that a lot of people are really interested in, you know, I am. And uh, thanks for kind of responding to that and, you know, talking with us and providing your workshop. And I'm just looking forward to to learning some more. Yeah, Toby, thank you for being so generous with your article and all of these podcasts you've done with Michael, it's just been a really wonderful resource and I can't wait to, to take the workshop. I really want uh, people just to, you know, consider using this. And so I, I'm just been so, I've been so pleased with the response to the article and the podcast and things like that. It's challenging to take on a new acupuncture system. And I've just been just so pleased that everyone is, uh, is willing to take this on and then getting good results. And it seemed like they're, um, everyone's taking the system really seriously. So uh, I've just been so happy. My teacher really asked me um, to at some point uh, get this out. And uh, my teacher is a Buddhist monk, and he really wanted to eliminate as much suffering in this world as possible. So this is a great way to help uh, mundane suffering. So he really encouraged me to get this out. And uh, until recently, I haven't been comfortable enough uh, to really um, put it out there. But now I feel like as a student of the system, I've got enough uh, experience as a student to really um, help guide people, especially in the, the basic stage of the system. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.